0: Hi, listeners. It's Lucy. Please don't scroll ahead. This is a very quick message, I promise, to ask a very easy favour. At the end of each episode as the credits roll, you'll hear a request from us to rate and review the show. Now, for those of you that are awesome podcast listeners rather than podcast makers, you might actually have no idea what a huge difference those things make. A significant factor in the visibility of a podcast on almost all listening platforms is down to the number and quality of ratings and subscriptions. So, if you are one of our dedicated listeners, hi, I know some of you as far away as Australia, so thanks. If you're currently not driving your car or changing a baby's nappy, can you please just look down at your phone right now as I'm talking and hit subscribe and five-star rating. Both of them are on the homepage of the show and they are both only a one-click job. But oh my god, what a lot of joy and gratitude I would feel at those one clicks. It makes such a difference to the show's potential to keep going. Now, enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. Hi, Lucy Eaton here, host of Hear Me Out. We've had lots of requests from our amazing listeners asking how they can support the show. So before we invite today's special guest on, I wanted to let you know that we are officially now on Patreon. This means that you can invest in the channel monthly and in return you get all kinds of perks from bonus footage to having your own questions put to our starry guests. Just head to our page on patreon.com slash podhearmeout. We've popped the link in the show notes below and we would love to have you join the family. you're about to hear a brief conversation with an incredible actor. Part autobiographical journey, part literary analysis and part late-night chat in the theatre bar, this is Hear Me Out, and I'm your host, Lucy Eaton. Please welcome to the stage, Denise Goff.
1: Lying around in a dirty rehearsal room, you know, having fucking exhausted yourself, throwing yourself around, you know, yeah. hugging people, and then stepping on a stage in front of a packed theater like that there's nothing better than no and
0: I kept thinking when they were like oh we could open theaters but smaller I was like I don't want to I don't want to go and sit in a theater where I'm like next to five empty seats before another one like I'd rather wait
1: I mean, I think that it's really, I mean, it's so admirable that we're trying to do it. But like the whole point is, you know, in your early days, I remember going, doing plays that we would get the choice whether we wanted to do the show or not, because there was more people in the audience than on stage.
0: Yeah, I remember that at the Edinburgh Fringe. I definitely had an instance like that.
1: <laughs> and you think, I
0: my greatest
1: nights, my greatest nights are in theatres that are packed with like, you can hear people, it's just huge, the roar, like, I, yeah yeah I want to do that again
0: yeah absolutely so on to something that is a truly wonderful memory oh. <laughs> I have to say when you agreed to come on the show I didn't dare dream that you would want to talk about people places and things I mean yeah, I mean
1: how could I not like I I just feel like it's something I would talk about forever I would <laughs> do it forever if I was given like I had as much of an experience on that as You know, I was experiencing the spiritual thing just Mm. as much as an audience was. I was right there with everyone thinking,
0: fucking hell, this is incredible. At what stage did you notice that before going into the speech, the particular speech that you've picked? Was there a point early on when you were like, oh, this is going to be different from everything else I've done. This is going to be transcendent in a totally different way.
1: Yeah, it was the night that, so I noticed in previews, Mm. Like I knew how much I loved it. There was a moment in rehearsals where I did the the speech before the interval where she loses her shit and starts shouting about how she wants to live. And Mm. I did that speech and I really went for it. And afterwards the room was really quiet and Jeremy Heron was really quiet. And usually Mm. he would take the piss out of me a bit or whatever, but there was just a moment of, I said, was that all right? Is that okay? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And I thought, maybe this is really, because you see, I as soon as I read the script, I knew there was a, it was a different play about addiction than I had ever seen or read before, because mm-hmm. it was the most authentic, yeah, the most authentic record of addiction I'd ever read. And so I knew the play was special. I had known I had been out of work for a long time, so when they gave the part to me, I was like... OK, this is my re-entrance, which is amazing. I knew on the first day of rehearsals that I was over overwhelmed that I was working at the National. But it was when the play started taking shape that I think, and we started working with these people in the Freedom Recovery Centre in Catford, this little treatment centre that these two brilliant women set up. And uh, we were visiting them a lot and they were coming to the rehearsals and they came to our first run through in the rehearsal room and we all stood together and said the serenity prayer together and these were some people were on suicide watch you know they didn't have any laces Mm -hmm. in their shoes and stuff so I was like this isn't this isn't about a play and I mean I had sort of let go of all of that anyway and I was just Mm. in it for pure joy at that point and um but I knew this play had a it was representing a tribe of people who are very important to me and they felt absolutely represented. So I knew that that was really special. But then on the... That's like a
0: responsibility as well.
1: Yeah, and it felt a bit like, oh, we don't have to care about what this does commercially. Like, I never thought what was going to happen. Right. I never thought about it. I just knew I was doing a play that addicts and people in recovery were going to love. And so then in previews, everybody kept jumping up at the end and I was like okay that's that's interesting (laughs) and then I never believed in single curtain calls either I don't like them I Mm. always think why is one actor taking a bow right I'm a bit of a purist about like it's the company and it's the team and and then on I think it was the third preview I went out and I thought everybody was following me and they didn't follow me and the audience went berserk. And I thought, oh, it's not about me. They need a minute with her on her own. Yeah. So I learned that, okay, so that's a good lesson that, you know, get my ego out of the way and give the audience, they need to make sure she's all right. They need to like thank her, all of that. Yeah.
0: That's true, I think, of all applause. I always think that's an interesting thing that when you see, it's very rare, but when you see a show where someone has chosen, a director's chosen not to have people bow at the end, and you go, you're taking something away from the audience. Like, they need that closure. Yeah,
1: because in ancient times, it was the breaking of the spell. Like, it's witchery. What we're doing is witchery and sorcery. Mm, If you don't break the spell, the actors have to take it home with them, and that's not okay. Like, it's not fair to expect actors to carry the weight of the whole thing and not get anyone like you're you're basically clapping away the spirits you know yeah so there was that but then on the the night before the press night so the final Mm. preview we were doing the show and i knew that the guys from the recovery center were in and so i had said to everyone before the show i said okay so this is our opening night the most important people are in the audience tonight so this is our opening. And uh, and so there's a piece towards the end of the play where she you, she's either gonna relapse or she's gonna go to a meeting and she picks up the phone and she decides to go to a meeting. And at that moment, oh. she says, um, I was wondering if you'd take me to a meeting. And one of the guys from the treatment center shouted out at the top of their voice, good girl. Oh God. And I had to stop. So I stopped for a, a second. And then i carried on and we did the play and that was the moment and afterwards i said we did it like tomorrow night doesn't matter the opening night the press the critics the the industry people none of it matters because we just got these people to a place where they believed in her and this play so much that somebody who had never been to the theater before shouted good girl so We've done it. And so now we must continue to do that. Yeah. And then the opening night happened and everybody stood up at the end. And I thought, oh, so they're standing up on a press night. So that's interesting. And yeah. After the show, I went to the stage on my own to say thank you when everyone had left the theater. So it was empty mm. and I went downstairs, and I sat on the stage and I just said, thank you so much. I'm just so grateful to be here. And if, if you would see it, I knew that when I stepped out into that room, the party, that it would be me that people would want to talk to simply because that, that was, the you know, yeah. I'd been in big plays before, but always with people, I could kind of let them go out and do the room and I didn't really have to. So I knew that the next part of the job was going out to that party. And so I said, you know, please, if you could just have somebody there straight away that I know, you know, like somebody who loves me, uh, just to, because I was feeling a bit like, oh, this fragile. is different. Not fragile, mm-hmm. but like almost a bit defensive.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So now I'm going to go out into the industry and it's going to become an industry thing and to me it was this precious baby yeah and i was like get your fucking hands off my baby you saying nice things stop yeah. touching her cuz she's young <laughs> and so i walked out and i went to open the door and it was opened the, from the other way and my friend richard was standing there and he just said i love you darling and he gave me a hug and then he sent me off and Richard is somebody who I've known for 13 years and we used to sit in coffee shops together with like no money sharing a roll up going fucking hell how are we gonna make any money (laughs) um so him being there was really special so and then somebody came up halfway through that night and showed me uh something that a critic had said and I was like oh okay And then the next morning, me and my sister sat in a cafe reading the reviews and I was like, okay, it's a smash. So then it became about going into work
0: that night and... Trying to do the same thing. Don't change it because of what you know.
1: Sure, like saying to everyone, okay, we're in a smash. This is a commercial smash. But we have to not, we have to stop, like close that off because the worst thing I see happening a lot with plays is they're transcendent and beautiful and brilliant. And then they become a smash and then all the actors get kind of smug.
0: And yeah, all the time.
1: Ruined, ruined. Yeah. And nobody takes care of the very thing that made it beautiful in the first place. And we had to do that a lot. Like we, when we went to New York, I remember you know, Anna Wintour threw us this party, this the, Anna Wintour from Vogue. And yeah. like just the audience was full of the most famous people you could imagine. And some of the younger members of the cast, the American members who had joined us, were nervous, you know. And so I had to give the speech and say, you know, they're in our house. We've invited them into our house. So we do our play. We don't change our play because there's a Kardashian in the audience. Like, we have to do the play. And so we, what I was so proud of was that whatever show anybody saw, anyone who's listening to this, whatever show you saw, I Mm. did that every night with that community Mm. of people. Every night. There was one night in New York where they were all tired and in that night they realized how much I needed them not to be tired because I kicked off (laughs) because they were so important. Remember their job in that play which is incredibly difficult. Every one of those characters were seen through the eyes of my character which meant Mm. that they had to do things to serve the central story, that's a massive job to do. And so God bless them, one night they got tired and I was like, what the fuck is happening if you guys aren't awake? I'm fucked, I'm out there on my own. And we bonded so much because you realize, you know, your your community on stage, if you're playing a central figure, you are nothing without the people around you. So it is always an ensemble. Yeah. Always, even if your character is telling the main story, you need your fellow actors. And I could not have asked for their a family to me still. So yeah, I guess that's a really long-winded answer. <laughs>
0: it's lovely yeah, that's...
1: before the press night. And then right. and then every time the play transferred, what Jeremy the director did, Jeremy Heron, who's amazing, he repeated the exercise of having a group of people in recovery um, and the addiction community come to the rehearsal room the night before we'd move into the theater. Right. just centers you. Yeah, this is not about impressing the industry. This is about, this is pure power of pure theater. It was, mm. so I'll talk about people, places and things forever. I mean, yeah.
0: It's so interesting. There's so many things in what you said there that I wanted to pick up on. And one short thing was just what you were just saying there about getting in recovering addicts and reminding yourself sort of what the story's for. Obviously, theatre does many things and sometimes theatre just entertains. That's the point of it. It's just meant to be, it's meant to be fun and escapist. Yeah. And sometimes you're trying to really tell a story well that maybe hasn't been told that well before.
1: Yeah, but also, you know, you can do all of that and entertain. I mean, people of course. really funny.
0: Oh, absolutely. Really, really funny. Yeah
1: you can do both and that's what when the writing is so important like Duncan Macmillan is such a talented writer and and in writing what I think can be the biggest kind of well it doesn't do any good is if you are just hammering the feeling like in life we have these terrible things happen and out of those things we still I mean I have a very Irish kind of mentality around it and we have Very, very gallows humour. And so I see it with writing, with really great writing. They know they don't have to hammer the point
0: home. And if anything, that grief lands more if you have the humour alongside it. Yeah. Uh, The other thing that you said that I just want to go back to is you brought up taking the single bow and it reminded me that one of my residing memories from seeing it, and I saw it on the West End, I missed it at the National, sadly, was the bow. And I can remember coming home afterwards and I keep a diary. and I can remember writing in it. I loved that Denise Goff smiled during the bow.
1: Yeah, because I wanted to be, sometimes you see an actor take a bow and they show you how hard it was. Yeah. But I was felt like Muhammad Ali <laughs> at the end of my bow. And, and the, the very last night of the National, like I had a blackout in the in the bow because I it was so overwhelming and the audience mm. were going so nuts. And I was like pumping the air like this. And then I turned around and then the whole cast was on stage. And then I turned around and, all of the people from backstage were on stage. And I was like in the center of this huge ring of people like clapping and I'm like hugging everybody and I'm <laughs> like for a minute and for a second. And the company manager said, you have to leave the stage cause this is not gonna <laughs> stop. And um, it was really intense, really, really intense. And I, yeah, I mean, it's the single most like profound experience of my life doing that play. And I've had some profound experiences. Like I loved doing Desire Under the Elms; That was amazing. Angels in America hated doing.
0: That's so interesting. What was so hard? Well, I mean, it's obviously a hard part.
1: Yeah, it's Tony Kushner, eight hours, just so playing a woman who was being gaslit and abused. It was just really difficult and lonely Mm. because it's a play about eight leading characters all on their own journey but Mm. i'm so glad i did it like the final night on broadway my god harper i was like get out of me (laughs) (laughs) Amazing, thank you for visiting now go away that's hilarious so it was a gift but sometimes they're just an offering you know it's not all meant to be fun and games. Yeah. And it can't be. It can't be. And why should it be? Like, people yeah. have hard jobs. Why do we always get for it to be good? It wasn't fun, but it was it was incredible in a different way. But People yeah. place Games was pure joy from beginning to end. Amazing. Joy that is sort of indescribable.
0: So... The speech that you've picked, the acting and addiction speech. Why is it so extraordinary, do you think, aside from the general brilliance of the play?
1: In the audition, I'd been asked to prepare it and I couldn't stop crying through it. And Jeremy said, (laughs) you know, maybe she's not so emotional. And I said, I have never been allowed to speak, to do a speech like this. So if you decide to give me the part, then... After two weeks of doing it, maybe I'll stop crying. But right now, no. Right now, I am emotional as the actress doing a speech that was written. How did he know what it was like? How did somebody put what it is like to be an actress so perfectly? So, yeah, he wrote my experience. And so it was really important. You know, I felt like it was a really important speech for actors you know and actresses
0: it's interesting in the speech you say this moment about how as an actor or actress you get to say lines that are so poetic and beautiful that would never come out of your own mouth but you get to make them your own and obviously that is part of the joy is the poetry of it and part of the joy is just the total realism it's what you're describing it's like when you get a speech and you go yeah yeah that's it yeah that's the thing I've just never it's not that you've put it in flowery language it's like you've just hit the nail on the head in a way that I'd never been able to.
1: Anyway, sometimes you have to do stuff that is such bullshit. You're like, this is not real. So when you get, and what I loved was that he wrote that. He was like, if you're really lucky, you get to do that. Like if you, you get like people, some people never get a people, place and things moment. If you're lucky, yeah. you get one of them. Yeah. And I've been really lucky. And then getting to speak Tony Kushner after that, that's really lucky, even though it was hard. I've done Eugene O'Neill. I've had the words of so many incredible writers yeah. in my body. And I've also had the words of so many shit writers. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I, when I was speaking to my friend last night, we were saying, you know, when you're gifted with a great writer, you don't really have to do much. Mm. I worked very hard on people, places and things, but it was also incredibly easy. It was incredibly easy because one thing led to another thing to another. Physically, yeah. it was very hard, but it wasn't. Um, you don't have to make sense of stuff. Yeah, it was joyful to know that the language was something that, you know, was looking after me. Yeah. When you start moving into other mediums mm. and you've worked on some of the greatest writers in history, like your instinct for good writing is so yeah. sharp. Like, yeah. sometimes I read something, I'm like, okay, I'm not coming. No,
0: your cringe radar must be like, boop,
1: boop, boop. Like, it just doesn't fit in my mouth. Why am I going to try and make something fit in my mouth? I'm too old for that shit now as well. <laughs> like, last night I was telling somebody about it. I'm in this really beautiful women's group, and, um, mm. and I was speaking to somebody. We're getting to know each other, and she's so fantastic, this woman. And I was telling her about this play. And by the end of it, I could feel like my whole body, just the memory of doing it is, oh my God. And it doesn't matter. Like, yes, it did stuff for my life that's been, it's made everything so much easier in every way. Like suddenly I I can choose whatever work I want to do and everything. And Mm -hmm. that's all great. But it's so much bigger than that. Like, that's like the tiny part of what it did. Like it was a soul job and yeah. it was sort of nothing to do with me and everything to do with me. Like I just went into it as, as open as everybody else did, you know?
0: That's interesting when you say that it was everything and nothing to do with you because I, I've heard you say at some point before about you trying to stay detached from your roles. The way you certainly would like to act as an actor is that you want to make sure you know who you are and who the role is and was that a challenge in something like this where inevitably there is so much about the role that is you like you say is almost written for you
1: but I didn't need to keep my it was so joyful why did I need to keep my like all it did was beautiful things for me it's only if a part is fucking like with Harper I was just like oh god come on stop you need to I was frustrated with Harper so much Mm. because I was like you're being fucking abused and so that leaked into my life a bit because you're doing it eight hours a day you know but with people places and things I was completely invincible like invincible I was just surrounded by joy I had there was a little bit of like I said there was defensiveness of don't try and come in here now and make this about a career like this is so much bigger like it was laughable the idea that you know I remember going to a meeting at some big tv company in in New York and I was just like who the fuck are you talking to (laughs) like seriously like I am on a different planet than you guys right now I you think I want to be in your show where I'll run around
0: in high heels with a gun I'm not interested. I'm not interested in playing this game. What a gorgeously powerful position to be in, to be so overjoyed with what you're doing that you see, because that's the sad thing I find so much in our industry is that I find myself in jobs where people, it's that classic thing where as the show is coming to an end, they're going, oh, I don't have my next show yet. Oh, you know, have you got another? It's always about the next bit rather than like, actually, what's this? Like, I only got to that point of I'm okay without a job.
1: In the year I was out of work before People, Places and Things, mm-hmm. I finally had decided I'm going to go and be a teacher and I'm going to be a great teacher. Mm-hmm. I had met myself in on the darkest night of the soul and thought, you're really all right. You need to stop giving your power to this industry. Mm-hmm. And so when People, Places and Things came along, I had no need for what you thought of me. I had no, I didn't care. That's yeah. why the whole process was just about... I'm working at the national on a play that means something that if the, if it all ends now I'm good, you know? And, and so it was so funny that this big explosion then happened as if people, you know, suddenly were like, Oh,
0: you're allowed in. It was like, no, no, I'm good where I am. Thanks, I'm fine. I love that. It's so good to hear you say all that because I think it was such a big story after People, Places and Things. Like, the big story was of, like, oh, you know what? Denise Goff actually was going to give up being an actress. And then this landed as if, like, and here's the reward. And actually, it's so good to hear you be like... I didn't give a shit. I, I had accepted. I know,
1: but I think that what I also accept is they're only doing their jobs. Like yeah. it's like critics. I just don't. Again, talking to my friend last night and we were talking about this one particular critic who I've known for so long and I love her. I just think she's great and she loves the theater and she loves being part of the circus as much as I do. Mm. So who cares if sometimes she has to say, I wasn't a big fan of her performance. She's doing her job. And when it all kicked off for me and I won the best newcomer, it was funny. There was no sort of, fuck off you guys. It was, I was, you can laugh at it. We're all just doing our job. There isn't anything to fear. It's like now when I do, cause film and TV is a totally different beast. You give all of your work to somebody who might fuck it up in the edit, who cares? <laughs> who cares like when you get like oh god i hope this turns out and maybe this is the thing i don't do any of that anymore i don't care whether you think I'm good or not, Mm -hmm. or it's so
0: subjective as well. What you think is good and what I think is good is completely- Oh yeah, we're talking about a thing where there are no absolutes. Yeah,
1: why waste your time? And And I genuinely, like I had started feeling that way before the big job happened. And that's what I think the biggest lesson was, was that I had to feel that way when I had nothing. When Mm. I was outside the fence, you know, on the other side of the fence, I still, I went into that audition for people, places and things, and I wished them well with it at the end. And I said, I really hope you find the right woman because this is an important job, but I didn't beg and I didn't wait to be picked or any, because Mm. I had like my biggest advice to people in the industry, starting out and everything is do the work on yourself personally, and then that will inform how you are within mm. the industry. Like self-examination is the most important examination mm. and understanding that if I don't feel like I'm worth anything, this industry will chew
0: me up. It's like a relationship. Yeah. It's literally a relationship with this industry. It's like be happy with yourself first or it's all going to go Pete Tong. <laughs> It's a cliche, but it's the truth. And it
1: was definitely the truth for me, which meant that all of that stuff like the sudden awards and the, all of that was just icing. It wasn't like the cake was already well and truly like perfectly cooked. I was like, yeah, whatever it's. And, and I got the greatest gift, which was that I'm able to choose my jobs now, you know, yeah. that, that's all I ever wanted. So, yeah, so I'm good. Like I don't want to spend my life chasing something outside of myself to make myself feel good. Cause it doesn't work.
0: No, to a lesser extent. But I I definitely had a similar experience to what you're describing when about seven years ago, I started a production company. It was when I first started producing as well as acting. And even when all we were doing was really little stuff because they were my projects and my babies. And suddenly I had that to focus on. I can remember the first audition I went to where I thought, I actually don't know whether I want to get this. And I think it was an RSC. It was the first time I'd been seen by the RSC. And I was like, I actually don't know whether I want to get this. Because if I get it, there's all these things that I'm lining up. That maybe to you look tiny, but actually they're things that I've controlled, I've decided to make, and I it would be really sad to miss them. Yeah. And I suddenly felt such a sense of ease. Yeah.
1: You go where I'm meant to go, as opposed to banging on doors of people who are not interested until yeah. you become something, and then suddenly they're all interested. And even that doesn't fill me with any resentment. You're like, welcome to the industry. It just is what it is. Hey. And so now, like now I'm because I'm starting to move into producing and putting things Together, and the reason right. I'm doing that is so I can surround myself with people I like yeah. working. With. I am not interested in having the biggest name if that biggest name is an asshole. I do not want 100 me that yeah. are going to make my life difficult. Like the, the tribe that you work with, it should be
0: easy. Oh my god, I have had one instance where I have allowed something that I was producing that I made to get out of control. And I can remember doing this play and we ended up with this team that we just had such a clash with, my my partners and I. And it was so sad. Like this is the whole point of producing is meant to be that we don't work with-
1: I guess you have to learn. Who, yeah. That would your way of learning. Like nothing, mm. nothing, nothing is wasted, but no, I have learned enough now to know who I want to work with. And mm. I also know what's good and what isn't good for me. So that's all I need moving into the next stage of my
0: career. I better do this. I was about to few. say talking of good, we'd better read it. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Okay, so from people, places and things. With a play, you get instructions, like stage directions. Someone clothes you, tells you where to be and when you get to live out the, most intense moments of your life over and over again with all the boring bits just left out. And you get to practise for weeks, and then you get applauded. Then you get changed, leave through stage door, bus home, back to real life, all the boring bits left in. It's waiting, temping, answering phones, serving canapes, nothing permanent, can't plan, can't get a mortgage or pay for a car. And then an audition comes in, you try to look right, and you sit in a room surrounded by people who all look exactly like you do, all up for the same part. You never hear back, or you get the part, and then it's sitting around in rehearsals or backstage, probably earning less than you did temping you make these friendships with people like a a little family you fall in love on stage and off (laughs) and then it's over and you don't see them again Try not to take it personally when when people who aren't as good as you get the parts or when you go from being the sexy ingenue to the tired mother of three. But you keep going, because sometimes if you are really, really lucky, you get to be on stage and you get to say things that are absolutely true, even if they're made up. You get to do things that feel more real, more authentic, more meaningful than anything in your own life. You get to speak poetry, words you would never think to say, but that become yours as you speak them. When he shall die, take him and cut him out in little stars. And he will make the face of heaven so fine that all the world will be in love with night and pay no worship to the garish sun. It feels like Lydia wants me to acknowledge some sort of buried trauma, but there isn't any. You know, I played Antigone, and every night my heart broke for her dead brother. And then my own brother died and I felt nothing. I missed the funeral because I had a matinee. I'm not avoiding talking to the group because I've got something to hide. It's the opposite. If I'm not in character, I don't even know if I'm there. I'm already dead. I'm nothing. I want to live a hundred lives, and be everywhere, and fight against the infinitesimal time we have on this planet. <laughs> Acting gives me the same thing I get from drugs and alcohol. It's a good parts so are just harder to come by.
0: Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's so great to hear it again. Such a good play. Such a good play. It's been a joy having you on the show, Denise. Yes. Hear me out is a Lucy Eaton Productions podcast. Music composed by Tristram Kay and artwork by Rebecca Bright. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe. And I know it's a mini faff, but if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, a rating and a review would mean the world. Finally, you can find us on social media at Pod Hear Me Out, and we're on YouTube, where you can catch visual clips of the show. Right, that's it. Lucy Eaton, exiting stage left.